0: This morning's sermon will be based on Matthew chapter 7 verses 28 and 29 and Matthew chapter 8 verse 1. So if you'll turn there, we will come to a conclusion. We will come down off of this mountain that Jesus has had us on through the Sermon on the Mount and we will tread on to other places in the Bible in the weeks to come. Have you ever been astonished absolutely utterly astonished can you conjure up the shock waves that fire through your core when you're astonished you know that feeling that goes all the way down into your inner being when you're just shocked when have you been astonished think about that for a moment what is a what is an occasion in your life that you've been astonished I wasn't alive On November 22nd, 1963. But this last week, as we looked back on 50 years ago, I was astonished at all kinds of things that happened in Dallas, Texas, my basically my hometown. I was astonished that that could happen in the 60s in modern civilization. Astonished at all the confusion about those events. I'm astonished about the man and all kinds of things. So that was an astonishing thing that I didn't witness, but as I look back on it, I'm astonished. I was astonished on 9-11-2001, absolutely astonished, as I'm sure you were too. So you know this feeling, this shock and this awe that comes upon you when you're astonished. Have you ever been astonished at what someone said? Most of the time, we're astonished at events, large, impactful events. And it's rare that we're astonished at what someone said. And I'm talking about rock you to the core, astonished. Not momentarily shocked, but rocked to the core, astonished. We read this morning in Matthew chapter 7 that the crowds that witnessed Jesus' sermon, Jesus' teaching to his disciples, we read that they were astonished. So astonished that they followed him down from this mountain. So astonished that they wanted to hear more. So astonished that they couldn't bear to have him leave their presence. And they went with him as he traversed through the villages. Here's the passage for this morning. Read with me. Matthew seven twenty-eight. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Try to picture these crowds. These crowds as assembled, if you look over in Matthew chapter 4, at the end of Matthew 4, great crowds are gathering because he's teaching in their synagogues, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people, and his fame spread throughout the region. And so they follow him, and Jesus saw these great crowds, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. These crowds were drawn to him because of his signs, his miraculous healings. And here we see at the end of this sermon, they are astonished. These are Jewish people. These crowds are not disciples of Christ. They're separated out differently from the disciples. They're not yet following him. They are accustomed to hearing people teach. They drew much from their scribes, as we'll see in a moment. But they had never heard anything like this, ever. And I want to ask you this morning, as I've asked myself all week, does the Bible astonish you? Does the Sermon on the Mount astonish you? It should. No, no, it must astonish you. This cannot be something that we look at and yawn. This is something that we ought to have our mouth open and our hand over our mouth astonished at what Jesus has said in these passages Being astonished at Jesus' teaching is the very beginning of coming to him. If you're astonished at the teaching of Jesus, if you're astonished at the Bible, that is the beginning, that is the means by which God draws you to him. It's the beginning of salvation. No astonishment, you're not going to pursue Christ and salvation is not going to be had for you. So we've got to come to this Bible, this Sermon on the Mount, with astonishment. Being astonished at Jesus' teaching is the way we hold tight to Him. It's the way that we don't drift away from Him. We've got to be continually astonished when we open the Word of God. And I'm going to warn us this morning, if we're not astonished at this then we certainly won't pursue him. And if we're not astonished at this, or if we cease to be astonished with the Bible when we open its pages, then we are in danger of drifting. And Art preached to us weeks ago about the danger of drifting and showed us Solomon and how he drifted. Strong word from the Lord in Solomon's biography. What does this word astonished mean? If you look at the uses of the word sto- astonished in the New Testament, it's used about eight times, maybe seven. It means in every case to be overwhelmed, to be shocked, to be dumbfounded, and to be amazed. Those are the words that are synonymous to the term astonished. Overwhelmed, shocked, dumbfounded, and amazed. Does that describe you in the heart That you have towards the word when you encounter it. The Bible was given us by God to overwhelm us. God gave us the Bible to overwhelm us with an understanding of our desperate condition that has resulted in our sin against him. When we understand God and when we understand us, ourselves, and the sins that we have committed, we should be overwhelmed. The Bible is given us by God to shock us. We should be shocked about the very real and present danger of an adversary who is prowling around seeking to devour us. Oh, we should be shocked at this reality. That's why God gave us those passages. When we read the Bible, we need to know that God gave it to us to dumbfound us. We should be dumbfounded in our inability to save ourselves from the wrath of God. And in that state of being dumbfounded, we realize we need a substitute, a Savior Jesus Christ, because we are most helpless. Dumbfounded. And the Bible was given us by God to amaze us. And you know what's amazing? It's amazing that God himself would step down out of eternity Into time and die for us. It's amazing. You hear about those truths, do you yawn, nod off, bounce your mind to something else that's going on in the world, or do you linger there for a moment in shock, dumbfounded, and amazed, and astonished? Because I just told you what the Bible tells us. That's every front of the Bible. And that's why God gave it to us. So what is your attitude right now in your life towards the Bible? Astonishment or boredom? What is your attitude towards the Sermon on the Mount? Astonishment or apathy? You know, when when a blind man... Cannot see the sun. We don't blame the sun, do we? We don't say, well, it's sun, it's the sun's fault, the sun's not bright enough and it can't overcome that man's blindness. No, we we blame the condition of the man and the fact that he doesn't have eyesight. In the same way, when someone says the Bible is boring, we don't blame the Bible. Do we? We must not blame the Bible. We must blame the condition of the man who has that cold and dead heart towards the Bible. If you come to the Bible with the right heart, you will be astonished. It's a guarantee. And if you are one that says, you know what? When I open the Bible, when I go and hear the Bible taught, when I go hear sermons, I just don't get fed. I say to you, you need to pray and plead with God for an appetite. Because this is good food. So long as it's proclaimed. So ask yourself as we go through this, where are you on the astonishment spectrum as it relates to the word of Christ? I want to look at a second thing here in this passage. I want to ask the question, what were these crowds astonished at? It's very obvious from the text, but we need to understand and speak to the obvious. The text says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So they were astonished not at his charisma. They were not astonished at his appearance. They were not astonished in this moment in His miracles, and His works. They were earlier. That's why they assembled to hear Him preach. But now the text says specifically, they were astonished at His sayings. They were astonished at His speech. This is Christ's sayings and speech. We have it. And we are called to be astonished. They were astonished, not that He made a motivational speech, He didn't give the Sermon on the Mount to manipulate people into what he wanted them to be. He didn't give the Sermon on the Mount to impress people with his verbal abilities. He didn't give the Sermon on the Mount to entertain people and have them chuckle. No, he gave the Sermon on the Mount to do what I read about in 2 Timothy 3.16. Here's what Paul wrote. All scripture is breathed out by God. Jesus is breathing scripture as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And listen to what the scriptures are given for. For the purpose of being profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is exactly what Jesus was doing on this Mount when he preached this sermon to his disciples. And the crowds heard it. He was... Teaching, he was reproving, he was correcting, and he was training in righteousness so that his disciples could be complete and equipped for every work that he was going to call them to fulfill. And we are just like them. We are exposed to this teaching of Jesus for those very same purposes. And so Jesus' purpose was to drive lasting Eternal change in his disciples. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus was not preaching at their minds. He was preaching down into their hearts. Because he said, if you mentally say, Lord, Lord. But that's not penetrated down into your heart and you don't do what Jesus has taught. He's going to say, depart from me. There's a mental ascent and a mental awareness that is not going to get it done. It's got to go into the heart. And what comes in, what goes into the heart comes out in doing the will of God, doing the words of Christ. So Jesus throughout this whole sermon was preaching to your hearts and my heart. Now, that's what they were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished at his teaching? Why? 29 says, because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as one of their scribes. This is the central point of this passage. And the point is Jesus spoke and taught and preached with authority. And they'd never heard anything, anything like this before. Jesus spoke by no one's authority, no one at all. He spoke by his own authority, but I want to qualify that authority because he did have some authority that he spoke from. John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So Christ spoke from the authority of the Father. And then we need to read John 10.30 with that. Because Jesus says in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. So Jesus Christ is God. We're going to be talking about this in the coming weeks. Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So God with us spoke this Sermon on the Mount. And that's the authority that these crowds witnessed. And they were astonished. It moved them. No, he didn't preach like the scribes did. You know, we see here, certainly, even these crowds. These are Israelites, okay? These crowds were depending on someone to teach them. They had to have a teacher. The Hebrews, I said this earlier on in this sermon series, the Hebrews have lost their language at this time in Jesus' era. Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, not Hebrew. The people had been captive in Babylon for generations. They lost their Hebrew language and they had adopted the language of Aramaic. And yet they had to have someone to teach them the law of God that was written in Hebrew. Hello, scribes and Pharisees. And so these people are accustomed to scribes opening the law of God and explaining to them in their language because they don't know tragically the original language of the law because of the disobedience. And so they had to rely on these scribes to open the law of God and explain and teach them his words. And these scribes, these scribes, man, they were legal experts. They knew God's law down to the nth degree. They knew the different schools and different thoughts that were used to interpret God's law. And they interpreted the law on behalf of the people, and in many occasions, they were looking for every single little loophole that they could leap through and create all these sub-laws that if you follow these laws, you'll for sure follow that law. And now they created a network of laws that was just overwhelming. They never, ever spoke on their own authority they always spoke to what someone else in the past wrote about the law that God had Moses write. And they used others' words about the law to interpret and imply the law to their current context. But not Jesus. He did not teach like these scribes. He didn't give more commentary to what had already been written. He didn't... Speak old commands only. He spoke new commands. Let me give you a flavor from the Sermon on a Mount. I've got five. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, but I say to you. He said that six times. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And he didn't lighten the law. He intensified it. He said, you shall not murder. But then he said, you shall not even be angry in your heart for that is murder. He said, blessed are you when you are persecuted on my account. No scribe ever said that. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. No scribe ever said that. These people were astonished because the scribes were the most holy men of all. And Jesus says, your righteousness has got to surpass theirs. That's authority. No scribe ever said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. No scribe ever said that. That's authority. No scribe ever said, whoever does these words of mine will be like the wise man that built his house on the rock. Only Christ said that. These words of mine, there's authority behind that. And I don't want you to remove yourself from these crowds. You are disciples of Christ if you believe in him. If you're here this morning and you don't, you're the crowds and you can be astonished. You must be astonished at what Christ has said. Let's let's even be astonished that we can know what Christ said. What a merciful God to reveal himself to us in the Bible. We have the same teacher today that these disciples and the crowds had 2,000 years ago. We have the very same teacher. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet. They had to rely on a live encounter with Jesus Christ in the moment. But we're removed from that 2,000 years and we still get the benefit of Christ's words. But we have something those people did not have at that time. We have the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit. So we have what Jesus said, and we have the Holy Spirit who comes and helps us love this word, understand this word, and desire to live this word out. We are a blessed people. We must be astonished at that. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty five, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He's talking to the 12, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit today in the lives of believers reveals to us the things that Christ said, the astonishing things that Christ said. And he gives us understanding. For without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't get a bit of this. Yet with the Holy Spirit, even a child can understand this. Well, I teach on behalf of someone else. I am not the teacher. And I teach on behalf of someone, not another man, but Christ himself Through the agency of the Holy Spirit. I'm not the teacher, but to the degree that I am submitted to Christ in his word, I am an instrument in his hands. I am not the teacher, but to the degree that I am submitted to his word, in the agency of the Holy Spirit, I am an instrument in his hands. And so I'm going to tell you, you must pray for me during the week. You must. If all you prayed was, Lord, help Pastor Edward be submitted to you and your word this week as he prepares for next Sunday's sermon. If that's all you prayed for me, I'd love you for it. That's how serious these moments are when we gather together. That's what's at stake as I study during the week to come stand before you. Just pray that for me. So I'm not the teacher. I teach on behalf of another one. I teach on behalf of the one who had authority. The one who astonishes people with what he says. What a privilege. But what a responsibility. But what a privilege. But what a responsibility. You know, it's a—it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing what we are doing right now. Think about what we do from 10... 40-ish to 11.30-ish every Sunday morning. The world finds what we're doing right now very strange. Very strange. The majority of the world is not doing this today. It's weird. Nowhere, no one in the world does what the church of Jesus Christ does. We have gathered for 30 weeks... And we have unpacked three chapters. Three of the biggest chapters in the Bible. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. No one is going to spend 30 weeks on three chapters, about 144 verses of anything. No one gathers for 30 weeks, much less one week and unpacks word for word something that was written 2,000 years ago. No one does that. We're, We're really weird in this world. Why do we do this? I think we do this. I know why I do it. I do it because I'm astonished at the authority that's in this book. And I pray that you come here every Sunday morning because you want to be astonished more. And last week's astonishment brings you back for more astonishment this week. Because when we gather together at this church, we hear from the authoritative one, Christ. Not Edward. In fact, all the contents of this Bible come with the same powerful authority. It doesn't matter where we go, we can be astonished. Is that your attitude about what we do here on Sundays? It must be. It must be. Think about this. We don't want anyone else in any other realm of our society doing what we're doing right now. Have You ever thought about this? I thought about this this week. We don't want lawyers opening up law books from a thousand years ago and practicing law with them, do we? My granddad was an attorney in Big Spring, Texas, 1930s to 60s, 70s. When he passed away, he had a lot of law books, and those law books were basically worthless. They're great for decorations, they look real stately on the shelves of your library at home, but you don't open those law books up to determine what should be done in a case. (laughs) That'd be crazy. They've gone out of date. How about this? Do you want a doctor opening up a medical book written during the time of Hippocrates? Heard of the Hippocratic Oath? He lived in 300 B.C. We don't want our doctors opening those books and going verse by verse for how to treat this issue. They're going to get leeches and they're going to bleed you and they're going to do all kinds of weird things to you that are not healthy. How about flying an airplane? Do you want your airplane manufacturer to build a plane based on the schematics from the Wright brothers? Absolutely not. All of those things, law, medicine, aeronautical stuff, all of those things have been improved upon. But this hadn't. Look at this. This is written 2,000 years ago, the part that we're in right now. Other parts thousands of years before that. And we open this up every Sunday. And read it and study it and understand it and apply it and do it. There's nothing like this in the rest of the world in society. And we don't want there to be anything else like this. Because only this has authority that never wanes no the Bible hasn't changed the Bible hasn't been improved upon over the years because it was absolutely perfect from the moment it was inspired by God through the stylus of a man on a sheet of parchment paper authority we hear it too We can be astounded just like these crowds. And I pray for you that you would open the Bible and be astonished every time. Sure, life crowds in and distractions rise up and hurts impede our ability to be astonished. But through and through, we need to be praying often, Father, astonish me with the words of your Son, Christ. That's how we approach the Bible. That's how we approach sermons. Father, astonish me in this moment. Tragically, many churches are forsaking this. It's happening all over the place, all over the world, especially in America, especially in in America. They're forsaking this perfect, timeless word. And they're preaching Things of of man made nature. And the Bible and its truths never go out of context, and there's no book like this anywhere in history. So, have you heard the authority of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount? It's a question you really need to ask yourselves. Have you heard the authority? Because it is there. It is there. And when you hear the Sermon on the Mount, are you comforted by it or are you bored by it? Are you instructed by it or are you threatened by it? Think about that. Are you informed and instructed or are you threatened and want to stiff arm it? Do you want to dip in for more after we've gone through this? Or do you want to set it aside and let dust collect on it and move on to something else in the world? There's a response to the Sermon on the Mount that we need to be serious about looking at. So let's close now with this. Chapter 8, verse 1. We come full circle from how the Sermon on the Mount began because Matthew 1 says, Jesus saw the crowds and he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. By the way, that's what we do here every Sunday morning. Some have said, you know, you've you got a weird style in the pulpit. You don't really preach, you teach. Well, Jesus opened his mouth and taught them. This is preaching. To open God's word and explain it and apply it. The sermon is not preached until a sermon is applied. And so the model that we have for what we do here on Sunday morning is what Jesus gave us on the mount. It's a time of teaching and urging and reproving and correcting and training. That's what preaching is. And so these crowds went up with him. And now we see that when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Will you follow Jesus Christ now as we come down off the Sermon on the Mount? Will you? Will you? Great crowds followed him to hear him preach, but tragically, tragically, these great crowds dissipated over time. And these great crowds that were astonished at Jesus' preaching are the same crowds that some three years later yelled, Crucify him! Crucify him! And these crowds were asked, do you want Jesus to be given back to you? Or do you want this guy named Barabbas given back to you? They said, give us Barabbas, a thug. We want him. We want you to crucify Christ. That's the crowds. They came down off the mountain, astonished at him. And now they're embittered towards him three years later. That can't be you. That cannot be me. We need to stay astonished and worshipful because this Christ is worthy of our lives and to be followed day in and day out. Even the disciples thinned out. In Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, we're told that Jesus had 72 disciples, and he sent them out two by two with instructions. And then we go to John 6. And in John 6, Jesus has had a real hard saying. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not be one of my followers. And these disciples had a real problem. What is this? Eat his flesh and drink his blood? Jesus was speaking analogously. And the scriptures say in John 6, 66, after this, many of his disciples... Don't know how many, but there was at least 72. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Probably many heard the Sermon on the Mount. Don't know that. So Jesus said to the 12. Jesus says to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? Anything less than you is pathetic. We're astonished at what you said. We can't let you out of our reach. That's what 12 said. There were 72 or more. We got these crowds that are astonished, and then they're yelling, Crucify. So, will you come down off of this mountain, figuratively, that we've been on for the last 30 weeks? And will you stay tight with Christ? Will you embrace him until you no longer draw breath or he comes again? That's what a disciple will look like. We have heard the words of eternal life week after week throughout this sermon series. Have you come to know that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God? Can you say with conviction, Lord, to whom shall we go if we don't go to you? That's the question you have to know the answer to. So I urge you, stay with us in the coming weeks and months and years. Stay with us as we open these astonishing words from our Christ. Stay with us. Come along. Be ready in season and out of season to hear the proclamation of the words of Christ. Because we're going to come to this perfect authority every single time we meet. If I have anything to do with it, we will be here every single time we gather. And we must together pray, Lord, astonish us with your truth. I pray that you will come to cherish these moments. I pray that you'll anticipate this time every week. And I pray that every week after this time, you'll look back and cherish what's been done during this time. I pray that's how you'll be for as long as you live. And if you move away, I pray that you'll go find a church that will do this week in and week out. And you'll plug in there and you'll keep on going. That's how God's designed it. So, have you been astonished? If not, pray that God would astonish you. Because it's here to be had. You need the agency of the Holy Spirit to help you to be astonished. And he has given that if you will profess Christ as Lord. Let's pray.